Welcome to the Band Voices podcast. This is Joseph Dunnigan. Band Voices is the podcast from the Band Books Museum, a museum in Tallinn, Estonia, that exhibits and preserves books from around the world that have been banned, burned and censored. In this podcast, we preserve the stories of authors, editors and publishers who have experienced censorship or persecution. Band Voices does not necessarily endorse the views and opinions of its guests. Our role is to give them a platform to tell their story from their own perspectives. Today I talked with Ulrika Alberg and Jude Chukwuma Dibia from the Dawit Isaac Library in Malmo, Sweden. This is a library that I've wanted to communicate with for a long time and I was really glad to have this conversation because, as you'll hear, we have very similar missions. Their mission is to collect books from imprisoned writers around the world and make those available to the public which is pretty similar to what we do in the Band Books Museum. Dawit Isak, whom the library is named after, is a Swedish Eritrean writer. He's been imprisoned since 2001 in Eritrea. There's a number of groups who are campaigning for his release. He's kind of a living symbol of the uh, imprisoned writer slash prisoner of conscience, but so far he hasn't been released. Before we get into it, I'd also like to give an update on the podcast. This is the first episode that we're uh, fo- not focused exclusively on a um, censored author, although as you'll hear, Jude has also had his problems as well. But I'd like to use this as kind of a bridging point, because in the future we're going to have more kinds of conversations with not just authors, but also experts in the field of censorship and free speech and this kind of thing. So that's something I'm really looking forward to, and I hope you enjoy that as well. But for now, enjoy this conversation with Ulrich Alberg and Jude Chukwumadibia. So it's really nice to meet both of you guys and um, I've got lots of things I want to talk to you about. But the first thing I want to do is I want to tell you a little quick little story, which is how I found out about your library, because this is quite funny. Uh, it was about, uh, it was six months ago, something like six months ago, last August, I think. Mm-hmm. And I had just acquired band books like the property and we were in there me and the other volunteers were painting the place and we're thinking where are the shelves going to go how are we going to arrange this you know all of these questions how are we how are we going to renovate and then i got a message from my friend which was announcing the opening of dawit isaac library and i had never heard about this before and i swear my heart sank <laughs> <laughs> And all of the volunteers, we all had this look and we all had this feeling of like, oh no, somebody beat us to it. Because <laughs> we were so proud of our idea. We were so proud, like we're going to be the first like free speech you know, place and it's going to be all free speech books and it's going to be, you know, it was going to be so cool. And we thought we'd been beaten to it. We were devastated for a few moments. <laughs> then we all calmed down. We looked at uh, we looked into what 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 was published, and we realized, okay, no, there's a there's a difference between what we're doing and what they're trying to do. And actually, this is a great thing because you know it speaks to the it says something that we're right in the right moment for this. That mm. you know, apparently, something is happening that both <laughs> two things like this should come at the same time. So we were really happy about it, and I've been waiting. Uh, I've been waiting since then for you know some kind of connection, and it was really cool <laughs> when. Um, Emily, how would you say? Emily. 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 <laughs> Emily. Uh, she contacted me and wanted to connect, and I just thought that was so cool. So really happy to <laughs> speak with you guys and hear everything. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's so 
wonderful to hear this little anecdote or story. I keep thinking that um, for sure, something like this should have existed in the past. You know, I think I've had this conversation with Ulrika and with Emily. I'm like, you know, something like this must have existed at some point. And then it this this big void of a specialty library that focuses on just forbidden because we call ours forbidden literature and um and forbidden voices because we're not just dealing with books we're dealing with um uh, musicians we're dealing with artists we're dealing with you know it's the whole thing together and um while it's easy for certain types of artists i.e writers to have some sort of platform um some others are lost you know and so in our library we wanted to represent especially those who have been persecuted one way or the other you know for the work that they do in the arts so we have the library but the library also consists of more than just books yeah i get that i have um i've been very strict about i mean there's so many things i want to talk to you about but we'll just jump in but uh i've been very strict in band books about uh not having any music or film or even uh magazines or newspapers anything like that because yeah. i really want to kind of keep the focus on, on one very specific thing and not spread myself spread yeah. myself too thin <laughs> why don't you tell me about like um the background of the museum then i mean of the of your library and maybe your own backgrounds. I don't know who to start with. Uh, maybe Ulrika, start with Ulrika. She's been in the library longer than I have, so. <laughs> Great, well, tell me about yourself. Uh, well, I've been working in Malmö City, um, how do you call it, Kommun, as a librarian for 21 years now. And um, I was, uh, well, they had decided at Statsak, the city archives, where we are placed, in the organization, it's uh, in the city archives facilities, and uh, they had decided it was a project to have um, to do more for free speech and for democracy issues and human rights issues, and it it ended up in um, the idea of a free speech library. There is already a public library in this space open for everybody in Malmo. And so the David Isaac Library is an, uh, they expanded the library with this free speech library. And for a second, I think yeah, sure. also within the time span before the library was created, I think um, Emily and the city were playing with the idea of creating first an archive for forbidden books and um, authors. So the thing was to create this space where writers from all over the world who have been you know probably still in danger spots can send their work and it will be protected um i think that was also one of the, the yeah that's the right word yeah okay you're right <laughs> but then it, if they changed direction a bit to to uh because then the books would be archived and then they discussed further and uh, decided on uh, it would be great if the books if people could borrow the book in this people who live here in the city but with um, uh, interlibrary loans, you can borrow books from Estonia, from our library. As long as you have a, well, libraries all over the world do this. They lend, you can lend books from other countries. And then I started a, a year before we opened. So I've been here now a year and a half. We started working as how, how do we want this to, we had all ideas and a lot of ideas and discussions about how we wanted this to look, how, what are we going to do? 
What are we, what books are we going to buy? Will it be only books or other things as well? So we started with books. Uh, books is the easiest in the library. And uh, we have a little bit of forbidden music. And as Jude mentioned before, the plan is, the long-term plan is to also have uh, forbidden art, literature, no, um, theater, um, film, dance, and so on. Wow, that's really cool that you're thinking about expanding to those territories. I'm terrified to <laughs> uh, to go too far beyond my remit. <laughs> it's been enough for me, you know, a uh, year, two, two years of uh, researching, just trying to get the research for books yeah. and to have, a, you know, a, a small but curated collection. Even that has been enough. But uh, uh, why the focus on banned or for, forbidden, forbidden uh, material? Because I read online about uh, this... Um, Sweden actually legislates the role of libraries in Swedish society, that they actually have mm. to serve the kind of democratic society or they have to further mm -hmm. democratic principles, which I thought yeah. was really interesting. Was there, was there a kind of um, legal mandate? Was, it, was, it, was somebody from the top kind of suggesting this or was it somebody kind of with a passion for the, for the topic that, that brought this forward and advocated for it? I would say a bit of, um, I won't say both, I would say more of a passion and um, probably from the standpoint of the archive, it, they have this new department that, that deals with democracy and, um, and documentation. But again, um, Malmo City is one of the icon cities. I don't know if you know anything about ICON, um, the International City of Refuge Network. So in Malmo, we have um, two spots where, where we take in... Um, um, persecuted or writers at risk or artists at risk and give them kind of like shelter safe havens for two years so we house them we provide them with all the social securities that they need and also give them a stipend and they're free to work and um, when it started in 2010 the focus was just on writers and then it expanded to artists and so we've had musicians, we've had writers, we've had journalists and, you know, and things like that all coming in. So it made sense to look at the library from that standpoint, because as a city, we had access to, you know, the general arts and also to this great artists who are being displaced. So why not start with them? And we can't, we can't alienate any art form especially when we're taking in different types of artists. So I don't know, maybe, Erika, am I on course? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's how I uh, understand it as well. Yeah, do you think this yeah. speaks to, like, um, I mean, Swedish society, I mean, one of the things I know is that Sweden has been kind of uh, accommodating towards refugees and things like that and has these uh, kind of uh, infrastructure for bringing them into society and helping them to integrate into society, which is missing in some parts of Europe. Do you think that it's part of a broader kind of Swedish characteristic, maybe a social conscience within Sweden that something like this could happen in Sweden, it might not happen elsewhere? Maybe, and in especially in the city of Malmö, we have, uh, I don't know, 60 or so different nationalities, no? There's yeah. a lot of people from other countries with roots in other countries uh, in Malmö. It's a, the international international city. I think the atmosphere is, there is a lot of people uh, interested in these kinds of issues. I think that's my, I don't know if it's, that's just my personal. As a foreigner who moved here, I think um, I noticed, the, especially within culture, you know, there's this need for 
um, the government to just make sure people are, you know, equal and mm -hmm. giving people the opportunity to to thrive. And it's um, difficult. Um, it's, it's not so easy to to say because somebody might think you're pandering to authorities because you're the one of one of the lucky ones. But you know, when I first came out, I was skeptical about the society because I knew nothing about Sweden. Um, but then I realized that they had this socialistic kind of um, temperament when it came to how they treat, you know, foreigners as well, not just themselves. So I think in a way, it's always been parts and parcel of their culture. And this is not to say that there's some not fighting against this, because you would always have the push and pull from the different sides, the left and the right. Um, I remember in 2015, when I moved here, a year before, there was this huge influx of people from um, the Middle East. And there are a lot of discussions on this is getting out of hand. How come Sweden is taking so much people? But it didn't really stop them. So I think there's that need to also find some sort of um, balance in the world. And, you know, that's my take as a foreigner living in Sweden. <laughs> yeah, I've seen kind of similar attitudes here in Estonia. You know, I find that um, when you in Estonia, Estonians often consider themselves to be very cold people, but actually when you when you communicate with them, you find out that they have this like almost a southern European, like Mediterranean hearts inside of them that they're kind of afraid to that they're you know resistant to let out there. But I think that they have it in them too. It's funny you were use the word kind of socialistic that um because of course in Sweden and in Estonia that word has different connotations. Connotations, yeah. I know. <laughs> But I think that everybody who would be listening would, would kind of get it. Um, that it's this kind of uh, idea of like uh, keeping the society open and people taking care of people. Yeah. Mm. That, that is a kind of guiding, seems to be like a guiding principle. Jude, you mentioned about, you mentioned, uh, you know, being a foreigner and coming to Sweden. Maybe you can tell me, tell your story. Um, <laughs> I'm one of those that benefited from the ICON program. You know, I lived, I grew up and lived in Nigeria and um, I'm a writer. And, um, one of the trusts of my writing had to do with human rights, especially the rights of women and the rights of the LGBTQ society that we have. And so I remember a long time ago trying to find literature that actually told a very honest you know, story and perspective of the LGBTQ community, which I also represent. You couldn't find anything, you know, it just didn't exist. And so the talk when, when you talk to people about it, there's this hush-hush, you can't say this word out loud. And then there was also the denial coming from, you know, authorities and the government that the LGBTQ community did not exist within Nigeria, which I found to be totally absurd. So I remember also reading from Toni Morrison, where an interview where she said, if there's a book that you want to read and it hasn't been written, you must write it, you know? And I felt like, yeah, and I've searched for the story. I couldn't find it. So I'm going to write one, which I did. I didn't do it for fame because, you know, I had a regular job. I just, writing was something I did, you know, as, you know I loved writing. And um, I've been published before, you know, in the newspapers and, and things like that. But this was a, a project I really wanted to write. And so when the book was eventually published, um, obviously it was banned from bookstores, was banned in libraries. And, um, you know, it, it was very difficult to get the word out there. 
but people started searching for it when they knew it existed. So one of the stories that I find, you know, very, uh, you know, it makes me laugh all the time was people would go to the bookstore and they would ask for the book. And it became like a, a weekly thing. And then the public, I mean, the um, bookstore owners started calling my publisher to say, oh, well, we've heard about this book. People keep asking about it. Maybe you should send us a few copies, <laughs> you know, and that's how it started. And then in, in my story, which I wrote, it was published in 2015, though. No, it was published in 2005. Sorry, that's um, 16 years ago. Um, I ended it in a very somber note where it's um, the main character leaves the country because he never saw Nigeria as a hospitable place for the LGBTQ community. And so he fled, he left and he, you know, and come 2015 or 2014, the government instituted this law that more or less um, criminalized the LGBTQ um, community. And um, as a known writer who was relatively open about my sexuality, it, it was difficult to be there because I was getting all the threats. And, um, and so, I was fortunate I had, you know, I had money, I had uh, a passport, I had tons of visas from different countries. So first I went to the UK and then I moved to the US where I lived for a year. Then um, a friend of mine who is dead now, Biavanga Wanaina, he's also a writer, Ugandan writer. Um, he mentioned um, Icon to me, am I aware of this organization? And he sent my, my profile to them and um, I was contacted, I was asked to apply, which I did. And then what happened? Yeah, it goes through a process where you have to be vetted. And once that was done, um, I was told it was done and they were gonna send my name to different cities and see who would um, want me. And I was lucky, Malmo just said, we want him, <laughs> you know? And so I found myself in Malmo. I did the obligatory two years um, program where you know, I, as an artist in the program, I, I could see a lot of the, uh, I, I saw the goodness of what the program represented, but I also saw a lot of flaws in how the program was being run. <laughs> it wasn't done the proper way. And so part of me wanted to, you know, make a change. I wanted to be part of improving the program. And um, when I finished in 2017, that's when my two years was over. I applied to work with the city of Malmo and um, in the international um, desk. And from there, part of my responsibility was the Free Starts program, which is the ICON program. And within a year, I became the manager of the program itself. So right now I manage the program and the program is now under the new unit, which Emily runs. So that's my story. <laughs> I work and I write. <laughs> Wow, it is quite a story. And how how many? So you came. So you became part of the kind of part of the team. How many yes. of you are there? We are what? I'm the only librarian, and then there's Patrick. He's an archivist. Yeah, yeah. Alvin, she's from Iran, a journalist, writer, also an icon. Alumni. <laughs> and uh, alumni. Yasmin. And Yasmin. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So it seems like an extremely diverse group of people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, tell me, tell me more about the library. I would uh, I have a question that I would really like to ask, which is uh, how what actually qualifies a book for 
uh, entry into the collection? How do you actually decide what to what to represent? Are you being contacted by writers at this point? It, are you being are you or is it kind of independent research from your part? How is that, what is the process? Uh, the process is pretty messy. <laughs> it's learning by doing. I started out buying the books that I could find from Icon writers. Actually, we have some partners. We have Icon is our partner. Yeah. And yeah. Um, Pen International. Pen, Pen International. Pen Swedish Pen is another okay, partner. Pen. And uh, the Libraries of Malmo is another partner. So I started out buying books, uh, the books that I could find from Icon writers. And uh, it was easy to find the writer, but not their books, because in a lot of cases, they um, have had to let, leave their books behind. Uh, so they're, they're hard to come by. And um, then I bought books from, there's a prize every year, uh, the Tucholsky Prize that uh, Swedish Pen has. So I, 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 I bought books from that list writers who got that uh, for uh, having nominated for, yeah. that were nominated and then from there you, you one book or one name leads to another all the time so it's it's the hard part is to limit oneself i think uh as you or to uh, so it's, it's quite generous and with any book that has been if somebody somewhere at some point in time wanted other people not to read this or that book, I will buy it <laughs> for the library. So they're not always forbidden. Sometimes, most of the time, it's not the book that's forbidden. It's the person who wrote it that you want to quiet. You want him or her to be quiet. Uh, yeah. Silence them. So I also buy books that are controversial in some way or another. And um, we had the, this idea that we have. We want to have a low threshold. We want people to to be able to. Um, access the book we don't want it to feel like a very um scholarly, um scholarly or intellectual space in that sense which it could be because we are attached to also a very important institution which is the archive but we also want it to be accessible to the curious mind who would just yeah. wander into a library and you know request for something light to read and um, get an education basically in within the library itself so that the idea was not to make it to be elitist in any form, you know, but much more a public space where everyone is invited to come in. So I know what um, what Ureka is also trying to say, because we have books like uh, the Harry Potter books are in the library. Oh. And somebody might ask, how come this is here? And then we have the Ex Libris. Also, we try to also contact other writers in different locations, you know, um, to find out what what writers have been persecuted, what books have been banned in their society as well. The books we have are not all English books. We have books in different languages that we don't even understand, but it, there's a space for it in, in the library. It's, we call it an ex libris, so that when you open a book, it's in all of the, all of the books that we call forbidden books. We have one of these. It says, um, what is this about? Where was this forbidden? When and why? And so it says, uh, forbidden or censored book, um, executed writer, uh, threatened or persecuted writer, exiled writer, uh, authoritarian regime, imprisoned writer. And then we can have some space for common. And then where you can write, in what country, 
and when you can write what year or between which era. And then why it's sexual uh, content, uh, drug use uh, yeah. content. And you have one of these sheets on every single book in the, yes. in the library. So a person, they get a book, they take it out, they open the, and they immediately have this uh, sheet, which gives them exactly. detail. Very about analog. It. And, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right, right. That's how I like it too. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I a rebel. Have... <laughs> yeah. Well, we have the same thing in band books. Uh, I have this uh, next to every book. We have a sheet because our, we present ours um, as a museum so yeah. that the, we have the book and next to the book, there's an information sheet, which tells you the same information which you have here, basically, except mm. it's more like a narrative. I write, you know, two paragraphs or something for every book and we have it in Estonian and we have it in English. Okay. And it has the year and it has the, you know, the name of the author and a little flag so that people can immediately <laughs> identify when they find their own country they get very excited yeah, so yes yeah, the same it's the same kind of method yeah, yeah. we also have um feedback um section at the library where people after they've read a book can actually critique and say okay why i didn't find this to be controversial or whatever and um, i think we also have the little board where we have erica you can explain this better the with the three questions go. Yeah, with the three questions, exactly. Well, the one is, uh, which book should we buy that you can't find here? Which book should we put in the library? Uh, the other one is, uh, what uh, what did surprise you the most to find here? And the other one is, uh, should some books be banned? And why do you think that? And we since we, we opened in September, uh, we were open for a few months, and then we had to close because COVID. Yeah. <laughs> so, we don't know if it worked or not. So people have filled in this wall and you can read what other people think, but then yeah. we were stopped. So well, we, we are moving that to be part of our online social media forum where the same forms would be replicated there. And so you don't really have to come and drop it there because of COVID. You can fill the forms and uh, we plan to choose from week to week or two weeks interval a different um, quote from the research and just blast it up on the wall in the library so people can see their responses are being read and um, yeah we do have quite a number of innovations when it regards forbidden books yeah yeah that's really good i really appreciate this innovative uh, approach as well that's what i'm trying to do as well i have a, i have a kind of similar thing where uh, where the visitors can interact and ask these difficult questions the way we do it is that we have the questions on the wall Mm-hmm. And then there's a QR code. Okay. You scan that with scan. your phone. It takes <laughs> you to a hidden section on the website, which has the where you can type in your answer. And only if you type in your answer, then you can see other people's answers. Answers. Okay. So the question oh, and, <laughs> and it's kind of hidden throughout the museum. So the question might be: um, I try to make it difficult ones. So it's something like: um, Should school libraries carry books which feature suicide? Mm. You know, difficult question. Variety of answers. So you scan it you you think about it you scan it you type it in whatever you think and then uh, you can see what other people and it's actually yeah, it's, it's, it's really a good, good way one. to get people involved but also it's really great from a data gathering perspective yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely <laughs> where i can start to get an insight into okay how what is public opinion about this actually it become mm-hmm. we become a resource mm-hmm. which is which is great for like a, a kind of a primary research it seems to me that am I am I correct in saying this? One difference between us might be that you are more focused on contemporary uh, literature because I am not so focused on that, except in the cases where it comes to me. So mm-hmm. I've had some contacts from people, you know, uh, who've been featured on this 
podcast actually previous episodes you know from yeah. latvia from america um netherlands and some other people as well who will be coming up and they contact me and they say hey uh, you know i've been banned or i've been censored i would like to submit my book to you and i think that's absolutely fantastic it's a great honor you know i'm very proud mm -hmm. of that but at the same time i'm not going out there and actively looking for it i'm kind of putting up a flag in allowing people kind of offering that people can send to me i feel like you were more active i'm kind of looking at more historical examples of course we have the historical aspect of it but um we can't just all carry past books we also have to look at the future and look at the present yeah we do have sections for all the you know recognized banned books globally but at the same time, we try to be proactive with the time. And since we're dealing as, as a city, we deal with a lot of um, artists coming in from the zones that have been endangered, who've left their country because they, they were either targeted or their work was banned. We feel contemporary literature, regardless of how difficult it is, has that much of a space with us as well. Um, a lot of the authors and writers and musicians that we're dealing with are people who are still, you know, under a lot of danger. So we have their work represented in the library. And do you have uh, are the partners about other, do you have partners who are specifically kind of enabling you to uh, get in contact with those people who are currently persecuted? I'm thinking about, you know, Penn uh, mm. and, and things like that. How is your relationship with them? Are they feeding you like uh, contacts to help you communicate with these people who are often in very difficult circumstances? On a constant, yes. We reach out to them, they reach out to us as well. Penn actually has a partnership with Icon because they are the ones that vet all the artists that come in uh, into the system. And so we work, you know, hand in hand with these two organizations to be aware at least of what's going on. And if there's um, literature to be salvaged, we will look for it. That makes us different, I guess. We are very actively involved in searching for this literature. When we started, uh, when I started here and I have to go to buy books, Emily's and her boss's Adam's discussions were more towards the contemporary. But then we decided on, we need to have examples of what is looked like in history and in different places to understand the issues today and we also have we have the section for forbidden books and then we have another half of the library that is uh, fact and context about different countries and about different issues so that when people if you find uh, jude's book on the shelf and oh this is and look at the ex libris oh this is from nigeria and oh you want to find out more, more about, about nigeria yeah nigeria and, and the lgbt issues uh, you can borrow books in the fact and context parts of the library. Do you do you physically separate those, or those are kind of you you kind of group it by? We group um, them separately. So the fact and context, they're well, they're in the same room, but it's uh, we separate the shelving them. system. Yeah. With the forbidden book part, we don't separate different genres or languages. We different. We have a couple of sections. We have Ekholm um, writers. And then we have uh, imprisoned writers. And then we have uh, children's books that have been banned or been controversial. And then we have all the rest. We do something similar also. It's kind of, we do it by country primarily okay. in banned books. So we have, uh, we have the UK section, we have the Russia section, the China section, whatever. But we also sub, uh, kind of have these subcategories also. Like we have a section for endangered languages, yeah. which is a kind of 
not quite the same thing as the rest of the rest of the collection but it's something i'm interested in so we have it <laughs> and then we have like the banned kids section yeah. so it's like, you know all of the kids books from around the world which have been banned and it's yeah. uh, they're kind of together in a colorful uh, display yeah. so it's very attractive to the children who want to be traumatized or <laughs> it's really cool I, I i love the way you're doing this tell me about your um tell me about the people who come into the library who are these people do you find that they are do they come in knowing what it is with the kind of ideal ideological kind of side or is it more like the general public who are coming in i think it's mostly the general public and people who are interested in uh, society and this in your news and uh, well it's also uh, very difficult to say okay. now because of the corona um, happened just as soon as we opened we did get a lot of um, interest from the public and also from all over the world, like different institutions that wanted to be you know, involved with the library. Well, I would say that we were lucky because where we are situated in Malmo is actually a very busy area and it has tons of schools and cultural um, institutions, you know, from theater to the Mazzetti to, you know, surrounds us. So we definitely always have traffic you know, and I, we're lucky, I guess. I think location is also key. And the fact that uh, we're housed within an institution that existed before, that's the archive. And people come in there for different reasons. And so now when they come in and they see the new library, there's a bit of curiosity of like, what is this? And then we can educate them. So are people coming in with, uh, you know, wanting to have a debate or wanting to no. talk about these issues? A little bit, but they're not. Uh, we haven't had any um, people are curious. They're not not in a negative way. I don't find hmm. uh, they're curious and they want to ask. Do you have Mein Kampf? Yes, we have Mein Kampf, and then we talk about that. And so people are. There are some people who want. Uh, we had some reactions on uh, social media as well. People expect us to be uh, the politically correct type of institution only, and then we. They're often positively surprised. They, people are not critical. I, I haven't found they're negatively, you know. Uh, they probably are out there waiting for Corona to be over. Who knows? They haven't been. Always, I know Emily had a call or wasn't a caller from the, um, and she couldn't talk to him at the, when he called. Hmm. And she, she said, well, can I get your name and number? And, and, and you can you can call me. Or if, what's your name? You can call me next week on this and this oh. time. And then he, they agreed on that. And he looked him up and he was uh, on the internet and he was on the right extreme rights associated with some extreme right movements. Uh, but then he called and she was a bit apprehensive beforehand, afraid to get a lot of hate from him. But they ended up having a good conversation. It's not about that. It's not about the, the content in each book. It's about having a discussion about what is free speech and why is it? It's important we talk about these things. And and uh, I think we, we are not apolitical in in that sense. We don't yeah. have any sides. You know, we are neutral when it mm. comes to it's, this. And like Erica said, it's more for conversation on why certain things exist the way they exist. Why are books forbidden? Why is this? artists um, in danger and things like that. So 
I love the curiosity part. I love the fact that Malmo actually has um, a huge multicultural um, groupings of people. And um, I feel the library in a, in, a, in a way represents that. And people want to see, you know, what it's all about. We'll be moving to a bigger site sometime in the next two years, I think, um, where we can have a, a location where we can have talks and um, lectures with society on, on issues like this, the books and, and it, anything that has to deal with um, forbidden literature. Um, so yeah, curiosity is pretty good. I just feel like currently we it's difficult to gauge the interest of the library because of the way the world is right now. And um, maybe next year, if Corona is under control and you come back and ask us, we can give you like better feedback. Right now it's so difficult to, to say people are coming in or if we just have 10 visitors this month, does that mean that we are not successful? Or is it because of Corona? It's difficult to, to separate those issues. Yeah, we've been going through exactly the same thing. I feel like we're on the same kind of adventure because we I'm also getting the same these kind of people coming in and they're curious and they want to talk and but it's very hard to figure out actually what is the public reaction to this in this yeah. context where we've been closed 50% of the time we've been well 50% of the time since we were open we've been closed. Yeah. Mm. I feel the same way I feel that people have come into ban books and uh, understood that you know this is not they come in with this attitude of curiosity and a desire to study the topic as a topic. Mm. I always compare ban I always compare us to uh, linguists. Uh, mm. Linguists do not prescribe anything about languages. They study languages as they are. Exactly. And so I feel like that's our role as well is to study the phenomenon yes. of uh, freedom of expression. It's like yeah. where do we see it? How do we see it expressed? And where do we not see it? Where you know how do we evaluate it? These kinds of questions are the ones I'm interested in as asking and answering mm. and getting the visitors involved with as well. So it's, it's really cool. But I've also found that when people do come in, the visitors who have an ideological side, mm. they seem to always assume that we are on their side. Oh, It's oh, an right. interesting human thing that is going on where people from the left come in and, you know, they're progressive, you know, they're, yeah. I don't want to make stereotypes about who they are and what they look like, but, you know, they're the progressive type and they come in and they think I'm on their side. And I'm like, okay, cool. I can play this game. <laughs> and then people come in from the right and they're, you know, a little bit more standoffish and they're not sure, but they're asking questions and they want, and they, then they start to drop these hints that they think that I'm one of them as well. And it's this strange kind of human thing that's happening. But the truth is that it's just because I'm standing there listening. And we're just we're just kind of providing these resources for people to see themselves reflected. They start asking themselves, you know, well, how do I feel about uh, books about suicide being in schools? So, or you know, these these kinds of difficult questions. So I think that the the public are seeing themselves reflected. And yeah, I too look forward to a time when <laughs> coronavirus is gone and we can uh, yeah we can come in and we uh, they can not only come in but we can have a conversation without masks on. And that would be that would be nice. That's we are looking um, forward to hosting, like I said earlier, talks and lectures from communities, and we will open our doors to them and suggest that. Let's have this conversation, you know, probably find interesting people um, with conflicting views and have them have like a discussion as well on freedom of expressions and censorship and all of that. And I think we can do that now, except it's um, digital, but it's also difficult to gauge digital engagements because we've tried 
to see if we could start like a book club and get people talking and recommending books to people. And I think it's a fatigue people have from Zoom and Teams and other platforms like this. Um, so we are looking forward to having this kind of conversations once we can, you know, and um, I'm actually quite excited about it and the prospects because we can explore different angles and go in different, you know, directions. So I think this is a good thing and it supports the work that I do because I always try to look for platforms where the artists coming to Malmo under my program can, you know, present themselves and present their work. So this is a great way to do that as well. And also inviting other people in different cities in the icon system as well. Yeah, I really appreciate that. We have a book club in Bandok, so it's the same thing. We've had this kind of fatigue, yeah, a, a fatigue of uh, online Zoom engagement and things like that. We have a hardcore of about six people who, you know, they read the book every month and they show up and they talk about it and we have a good conversation. Mm. But yeah, I, I, I sympathize with, with that. And I look forward to um, a time when we can have bigger events and things like that. We are a little bit restricted in terms of uh, moving to a new place because, well, we don't have the resources for it. We don't have the money for it. And Estonia is a difficult place for social enterprises like ours in the, in the sense that there's no, there's little state funding. There's little left uh, for, there isn't even formal recognition of social entrepreneurship as a legal identity. So mm -hmm. it's not a great context and it's a challenging environment for museums. Um, except yeah, for the publicly yeah. funded ones for independent museums like ours it's very challenging there might be a long time before we expand but i would love to be part of um like a bigger conversation and to be able to bring in people like you said to have a public conversation about really challenging topics and bring in people who have particular expertise mm -hmm. so yeah i look forward to coming over to sweden to be part of that well definitely we we'll be sending you an invite as soon as it's safe <laughs> that would be You're fantastic welcome anytime <laughs> it's been great talking with you i feel like we're on the same mission so uh, i have a feeling like this is not going to be our last conversation i feel like we've got a we could have a bit of a partnership going great that sounds really good sounds really good the beginning of a beautiful friendship exactly sure. <laughs> great well thank you guys very much thank you for having us if you enjoyed our podcast you can find more information about band books at www.bandbooksmuseum.com where you can find links to all of our social media. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash bandbooksmuseum where you can join our monthly book club. Your support is very much appreciated. This has been Joseph Dunnigan. Thank you for listening and I'll speak to you next time.